Gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Glad to be with you again, folks. Tonight we are going to uh, dig deep into a case that's not real thrilling to talk about. Yes, um, one of uh, America's most notorious serial killers. We're going to be talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. On this installation of our true crime episode, where we talk about the actual case of a killer and then choose a movie that has been done about that killer. And uh, most of you know that uh, we've, if you've listened to the show before, we do not aim to glorify the killers at all. We do not like that. We do not support that. But we do think they are important topics to talk about, and it ties in with our reviews of horror movies. And so tonight... Um, we are not going to be talking about the Dahmer film that Jeremy Renner did, which is evidently pretty good. Yeah, it's excellent. Uh, which I have not seen. But uh, we do want to dive into a newer one uh, based on some graphic novel source material. Uh, great book that turned out to, in my opinion, be a really good movie called My Friend Dahmer. So I think without any further ado, well, let's, you know what, let's let's take a step back to, um, when did he get caught? 91? Uh 91, I think. 1991. So let's, before we start talking about the case and Jeffrey Dahmer, let's 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 go back in the time machine and talk about what it was like for us to be alive. Uh, Vinny and Todd were in their mid-30s when this happened, <laughs> uh, but I know the professor and I were young. I was uh, a baby. <laughs> <laughs> professor and I were only around 9 or 10 when it uh, all yep. came to light, but... Uh, yeah, to, what, what do you remember about so, that time? It, it was uh, July 22nd, 1991. Oh, good. Uh, I would have been 13 years old. Yes, I so. would have been 9. <clears throat> I was going on 10. I very much remember it hitting the news, which you, when something like that hits the news, you can't help but remember it, just because of all of the details that came out from the discovery of the his apartment and everything it was i mean it was what everybody was talking about everybody. it was a, an enormous an enormous news story so i very clearly remember all of this happening and then it going to trial and 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 honestly <clears throat> everything progressed pretty quick with the Dahmer story like it closes with his death fairly fairly yeah. rapidly he died in 94 yeah, yeah. 94 yeah. So I mean, I, so he was still very much part of public conversation. He he hadn't gotten people's attention spans weren't as short as they are now, and it sounds like an old man thing to say, but it's true. No, you're right. Uh, and so he was very much still part of the public lexicon at that point. 
And so he was still a fresh topic when he died. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Talk. I'd say my experiences are probably similar to Benny. So I think I was probably 12 when it happened. Um, maybe going into seventh grade, sixth grade, because it was summer. Um, this is, I think, the first. Uh, obviously, I knew serial killers at this point because Gacy and stuff, but this is like. Like how people would talk about Kennedy. To me, this is like the serial killer. I had never experienced this. I could. I remember hearing the name Ted Bundy as a kid, but I don't remember. I knew that he killed people, but I didn't know any of the details. Sure. Dahmer was the one that I was very uh, aware of because I was just at an age where my parents didn't shoot me out of the room when the news was on about shit like this. You know what I mean? So this this is much probably the first and most clear serial killer I that I can remember. Yeah. So same way, uh, Gacy Bundy. Like I knew the names, but not like this. This wasn't on the nightly news. So I'm experiencing like all the details coming out. Um, and then it's not that he just murdered him, but the the fact that like we're talking about that like cannibalism and and what he did to the remains of the body. And um, this is also at the same time I think Court TV was starting. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, like this and like the Menendez trial and, and OJ Simpson and stuff like this. Um, I don't want to say glorified it because I think it is it is kind of interesting that you can go and watch the, the trials and stuff. But it captured a nation. Yeah. I mean, there was cable at that point, but cable wasn't programming wasn't to the degree that it is now. Yeah, it wasn't. You know the twenty-four news cycle. The twenty-four-hour news cycle was in its infancy at yes. this point. Yes. So you know it wasn't just like you were just constantly bombarded with news and you know pulling up you know CNN as your front page on your web browser because you didn't have a web browser. Right. Right. Well, and I think I think with Dahmer it was the perfect storm from a media standpoint, and we're located in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and so this is a little bit closer to us than the usual big ones that. It, maybe happen a little bit closer. Richard Ramirez was a big deal in the eighties, but that was in LA and he wasn't caught for a while with this. There had been some, some disappearances obviously in the area, which we'll get into, but this was more of a, here it is, you know, we'll, and we'll talk about the discovery, but it was all laid out right there. And it was too much for Americans to absorb. It became a fascination with the story itself to the point where, I think for our generation, all four of us here, even though a few of a few of you are a little bit older, the the main cases that captured the attention of everybody, somebody like Ted Bundy, even if we were alive, we were too young to really mm-hmm. for it to be on our radar. If anything, our parents maybe were even protecting us from those stories. I don't know if Richard Ramirez was a big national deal. It wasn't in my world. Yeah, I was you know watching He Man and GI Joe. I could have you know it's just it, that wasn't a part of it. But with Dahmer. As I approached 10 years old, this was talked about at school. I remember a few of the kids in my class being very proud of the kind of tasteless song that they had with uh, Oscar Mayer. My baloney has a first name. And that was like a thing I remember kids giggling about because it had permeated that far out. Like everyone knew about Jeffrey Dahmer. And so uh, we're going to need you to sing that song. <laughs> that's it. You got it. <laughs> I don't know past that line, but. It was something that that had more of a reach than anything we would ever have had before or really ever again. There's been some big stories, but 
they were isolated incidents. Something like O.J. Simpson was a huge deal a few sure. years later. But that was one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to point out, too, that in a lot of ways, this is one of the last ones that will happen in our lifetime that's like it because as we get further along with forensics and, and the methods they use to catch people, we've cut a lot of that out. Yeah. Um, so this was kind of one of those last examples of the classic huge news story that that had a, enough of a history to it to scare the hell out of people and fascinate them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I if if you weren't alive then, if you're a younger listener, we can't stress enough how big of a deal this was. I mean, it was everywhere. Yeah. It's at this point in the podcast that I realized that I did not allow time for introductions of everybody. That I am Grizzly Abner and you are... Oh, no, we, did I, well, we did Did we? Nope. Yeah. Do you have amnesia? <laughs> have you had the house check for mold? You just talked about our age. <laughs> have you had the house check for molds? Maybe it's just so ingrained that I forget that I do these things. Like the other day, I pulled away from the gas station. I was like, "Did I pay for that gas?" <laughs> Will you? Uh, can you sing us the birthday song? <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Man. Anyway, well, back on track. I'm Grizzly Abner, and uh, you know what I remember. <laughs> If you do this again in five minutes, we're going to have to push pause. <laughs> I need to check the carbon monoxide that's in my house. Am I all sleepy? <laughs> um, pretty much echo everything you guys just said. All I remember specifically was the cannibalism. Like, I just remember that being an ongoing thing. Um, you know, obviously didn't know about, you know, as a kid, you know, I was eight going on nine. It's like I didn't, you know get the whole idea of all this was still in his apartment and, you know, the way that he was, uh, you know, drugging, raping and murdering, you know, uh, male, just other, other men. Right. Like, um, so like none of that really sank in. It was just the cannibalism because it was just so weird to me that a person would eat another person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's all that really Mm -hmm. sunk in with me. And as you said, the jokes were everywhere. Oh yeah. Everywhere. You pick up mad magazine, Making fun of Jeffrey Dahmer. Cracked Magazine, making fun of Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, I mean, these jokes, these bits were everywhere on every TV show that you would watch. Like, people couldn't stop talking about it. Yeah, and I mean, every every late night monologue for a time period was going to make reference to Dahmer. And like we were saying earlier, there, you know, there's no internet at that point. There was also the vast, a, a huge portion of the country was still on the Farmer 4 channels you know still a lot of antenna and not even people with cable at that point so yeah it was a huge deal huge i think another thing with that makes this case different too is is Dahmer himself of how as soon as they arrested him he's like well let me start with the first killing he owned everything yeah he he you know where bundy kind of like he would kind of like let things go a little bit here and there but Dahmer was like well get a pen and paper and we're going to get into this more as we get into the case and Dahmer as a person, but I, I remember just how sad he always looked. Like mm-hmm. he just, he didn't look scary like Bundy. He didn't look, you know, like he didn't look like a guy who was relishing in this. He looked like a tortured soul. Like he does now when I look at old video archives and I remember that then. I just remember looking at him and being like, something just, this guy did, didn't, didn't seem like he enjoyed what he was doing. No. And we'll talk about that more as we get into the real case. But I just remember that even then as a kid. Like, I thought, I mean, like, yeah, most people that are in courtrooms aren't real thrilled to be there. But something extra behind his eyes just looked like 
Yeah, like he was relieved to get caught. Yeah. So, should we dive into the case? Sure. And uh, as always, if there's any uh, notable moments from the case that you want to talk about that I skip over, please speak up. Um, but Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer was born in 1960, the first of two sons to Joyce and Lionel Dahmer. Um, while not abusive, it seems that he had a fairly lonely and neglectful upbringing. Yeah. Um, parents constantly fought and didn't really foster the healthiest situation for him, um, which <clears throat> with him, as we see, there will be a lot of contributing factors, mm -hmm. not excuses, but things that kind of blend together to fuel the unfortunate results that we get from him. And that's, you know, most of my notes are from when he was young, just because based on the movie and the book and things like that, Certainly. And where I did most of my research. But yeah, a long, yeah, exactly lining up with what you were saying, but he just had like this, this busy dad that worked at a, a it was like a chemical company or something. Wasn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So, I mean, he was a chemist of some sort and he was always gone, always busy. He stuck at home with this quote unquote crazy mother who's like a hypochondriac who always has this interior designer over to do something new to the house, like. Just a weird lady. Yeah, excellent casting with Anne Hesh. And, yeah. and when the parents were together, it was high tension, combative, fighting constantly. Mm -hmm. Constantly. Yeah. Um, the family relocated to Doylestown, Ohio in October of 1966. Um, at the time, Joyce was pregnant with their second child, David. And then two years later, they would move to Bath, Ohio. Uh, this is where... Jeffrey would attend Revere High School, which uh, a lot of this stuff I'm, I'm going to gloss over because it's what the movie focuses on. Um, but there were some elements here where we start to see alarming signs with him. Um, he isn't fitting in at school, but he's making an effort to attract attention by faking seizures yep. and being a class clown. Um, and I think one of the the most b b bizarre feelings when you watch that in the movie, as we'll discuss, but also just reading about it, is you remember those kids from school, the ones that don't know how to make friends easily. And so they do things that kind of make you squeamish, like you're just embarrassed for them because it's like, oh, man, you're trying too hard. Yep. And I think that there was a lot of that there um, with, with Jeff. And he started to also explore himself. Um, and starting to face his homosexuality, which he struggled with. Uh, he also had a fascination with biology. And I think a lot of these things intertwined um, as he didn't have anywhere to outlet any of it. He didn't have a home that where there was a conversation to be had. Right. Um, and so he, he really didn't have good friends that he connected with. And I think that's the biggest problem with him is that there's never at any point somewhere for him to channel it into other than kind of figuring it out on his own. But what's funny about that is by his own account, because his father wrote a book and his father had talked about how Jeff was kind of backwards and, and that's something he took exception to. He said, well, that may have been your perspective, but for me, I had a good time with my friends. I was outgoing at school and this and that. So from his perspective, that wasn't the case, right. but it seems to be anybody else who knew him. Right. Says no, he was kind of an introvert and you know yeah. a weirdo. And, and but he doesn't. He never. He didn't see it that way. Certainly, 
And the movie does a good job, which we'll go into specifics on that, of, of painting mm-hmm. the kind of token ideas that he thought for fitting in and accomplishing those as checking off the boxes for high school. Yeah. I was going to say, too, he uh, also talks about not putting the blame on anything. But then I think, he, uh, to touch on what you were saying, I think he overlooks a lot of stuff. Because he sex- says that his uh, the victims were never in a sexual nature. If that was true, then why did he never kill women? So I think he I, I think he overlooks a lot of a lot of uh, to me Jeffrey Dahmer is a lonely person, and, yes. and and then the homosexuality thing like to me I, I kind of I mean obviously I can't speak for him but to me like he's he it's already something that he feels bad about, and then he's confused by a lot of stuff and I think Ryan touched on it that there's not one clear cut like you know this made him who he is because because at the end of the day like. It's still, I mean, shit happens that you shouldn't still go out and kill people. Right. But I think there's just so many factors with this guy. And then when he, but when he talks about it, he's definitely someone that's like, movies didn't cause this. My parents didn't cause yeah. this. He said everything is is an, is an excuse. Yeah. He, he owned his actions that anything else, any reasons are excuses. Now he did, he did say that the killing itself was not sexual for him. Uh, now they were they were chosen because they were all he said that he would pick the best looking guy and that's the one he would he would do but he said that the killing was never sexual for him that would that was a uh into a means or whatever um that part he never enjoyed I, I that that, yeah. that part wasn't the killing wasn't the <clears throat> sexual part for him now he did say dismembering them and things of that nature then became sexualized for him and part of the sexual experience. But he said that the killing itself was never sexual. See, even that comment though, because there, there is a victim that he picks up and he wasn't attracted to. And that afterwards he felt so almost disgusted by it. Cause he, what there the attraction wasn't there that he stopped killing for a little bit. And that's, that's one of the jokes is like, could you imagine being someone that Jeffrey Dahmer slept with and he didn't kill you? Yeah. <laughs> How bad has that got to be for your ego? <laughs> he didn't think I was. Let me go. He didn't think I was cute enough. To keep it. <clears throat> okay. Um, so. I was gonna say really quickly, all of that as at, because of where we're at in this conversation about what people are saying about him and, and who he is. Dahmer is. And have any of you read the graphic novel, my friend Dahmer? Just part of it. <clears throat> the guy who wrote it was a friend of his, Durf, Dirk Backdurf, and uh, he. He, he makes this point over and over throughout the comic as we continue to talk about his childhood and where things really kept going wrong. But, like, Dahmer is one of the killers that I, I feel sad for. Certainly. And now, my sympathy for him goes out the window with the first person he murders. Right. right. And that's, yeah. the point that, that's the point that Durf makes in the graphic novel. Like, he keeps saying, like, over and over again, like, where were the parents? Where were the checks and balances? Where were the adults? Where were all of these fail-safe systems that were supposed to catch these things in this very troubled kid? And he's like, I just, he says, I genuinely liked Jeff. I really did. But, again, the moment he kills that first person, my sympathy for him goes out the window. Right? Yeah. So, And that's an interesting dynamic, too, because he instantly was the boogeyman to our generation. Yeah. And then as you get older and learn more about it, and even the way he killed... It's just kind of pathetic and, yeah. and sad. Um, certainly not as sad as the victims, but nonetheless, the, what led there, it's it's a bummer. He's almost like uh, Bill Dodery from King of the Hill if he went on to kill people. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a, what a sad, pitiful guy. <laughs> that was my last note. I'd like to thank you for listening tonight. 
Um, but yeah, real quick to get get through the remainder of uh, the youth. He at high school was also seen by peers from the jump as an outcast. Um, one notable thing was he drank a lot. Um, would wear an army jacket. Yep. Shout out Joe Barker, um, <laughs> and would keep hard alcohol or beer with him. And did drink we constantly. all have that kid in school who wore an army jacket? Usually had like yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. But um, it was just kind of a whole bunch of examples that he didn't fit in. Um, but at this time, as he started to acknowledge uh, his sexual preferences, he also fantasized about domination. And you also have the exploration of biology. He's taking dead animals from the road, mm-hmm. taking them back to the property and cutting them open, wanting to see what their insides look like, where their bones are, uh, and dissolving parts of it with acid. His dad's work. Yep. He's got a little bit more of a heightened understanding of that than your average high schooler and the privacy and parents who aren't paying attention to him. So you, you kind of have... Uh, these things at such a, a crucial age where things are molding, kind of intertwining, which will play a big part in He said it all started later. with uh, when they dissected a fetal pig in high school, that that's what got him interested in wanting to see the insides. He took it, huh, the remains home after the dissection. Which, which, if this he was kept a, a skeleton. If this was a different person, though, this would have been, he would be like a doctor. Well, or like see, and that's the thing. Now I look at this like collecting animal bones and things like that, and with us going to horror cons and everything else, I'm not. I don't think it's that weird now. What's, what's upstairs, no. Abner? Like when I when I was younger, when I was younger, it was like, oh, it's weird. Now I'm like, oh, that that to me, that's not really an alarm to be set off, you know? Right. Um, but the the basically the last two big events before things really officially kick off with him, um, he becomes obsessed with this rape fantasy, um, and. He wants to apply it to a male jogger that he sees go down the same road the same mm-hmm. time regularly. Um, and he fantasizes about this a lot. And at one point, he decides to act on it. He hides in the bushes and the brush down on the side of the road. and He waits, and he is going to knock this jogger unconscious and act on this. Jogger doesn't run by that day. He never... Attempted it again, but that was the first time where we start to cross over into I'm going to act on these impulses. Um, But that was his first attempt. Um, In early 1978, his dad moves out and is living in a hotel. That In a few months that same year, uh, Jeffrey would graduate high school. Mm -hmm. His mom would peace out with the other brother that she did had. She had won custody on Jeff's 18. He's just old enough to where he's kind of left in between here. I, I feel like they never fall over him either. So they're fighting over a younger child. And, yeah, and like, well, that's the thing. And As they're and going stuff. to battle, he's graduating yeah. high school. They assume he's going off on his own, so he's not even involved in, in the litigation. But if you think that. about that from his perspective, though, like they're fighting over property, they're fighting over my younger brother, and then nobody gives a shit. Well, and you want to talk about your life completely changing as if teenage years aren't awkward enough anyway. Then add in that you're you're a closeted homosexual in a time and in a place where it's not that shit don't fly. You're now transitioning from (laughs) adult or from kid to young adult. You're graduating high school. A whole different chapter of your life is changing while your already rough home life is completely falling apart around you. And you're already a teenage alcoholic. 
Yes. And the only acquaintances you had, now this is 1.2, that he had a fan club because of the seizure things that he would do at school and the funny voices he would make and just the silly things he would do. People started joking and they made like a comic strip about him in a fan club. And like, they were like, oh yeah, he's all right. You know, like, and they were, all those guys left, went to college. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like, even your acquaintances, even the people that tolerated you are gone. And during this time as well, Dahmer also said that he had a fantasy of a hitchhiker. That he would, there would be a hitchhiker and he would pick up the hitchhiker. And it was this whole sexual fantasy that he had as well that he was fostering, which of course will play into things yes. coming up as well. Uh, Don't we all have those <clears throat> minus the rape? <laughs> <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> um, hey, you better touch the nerve with Professor there. <laughs> I'm hot now. Hot and bothered. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was really the perfect storm of everyone abandoning him, per se, as his urges heightened. It was just the worst possible timing for it. So, so we, back to the point I was going to make but that, that Durf makes in the book, and maybe a little bit in the film, but like, where were where was anyone that was supposed to look out for his best mm-hmm. interest? Nowhere. The teachers, <laughs> the teachers who smelled alcohol on him let it go. The parents that didn't pay any attention to him let it go. I mean, like... Uh, not to again, not an excuse for no. what he went on to do, but at the same time, this is had, had, what had, makes him a sympathetic. Had someone intervened though, or, or or something gave, would he have would he have went on to become what he was? And that's that's a question we can't. We'll answer. never know. Yeah. And this, but this case, it is important to point out, which we are. This has more opportunities to catch it than really most others that we'll talk exactly. about. Exactly, yeah. And that's the difference. There's other things with these killers that we've discussed that maybe could have been caught. But, th- I mean, this is a regular opportunity in all directions um, for an adult to say, hey, something's a little weird here. Like, you need to talk to somebody. Let's talk. And that could have veered him completely in a different direction. He yeah. may he could have been alive today and a doctor or a chemist with a veterinarian. no victims. Yeah. Um, so that obviously we'll never know. Uh, but he graduates high school and at this point is living on his own, drinking himself stupid. Father's still at the hotel. Uh, mother is gone, which she eventually The hotel five miles down the road, by the way. So on June 18th, Dahmer picks up a hitchhiker named Stephen Hicks, who was four days shy of his 19th birthday. Dahmer lured the youth into his house on the pretext of the two young men drinking alcohol together. Hicks, who had been hitchhiking to a rock concert in Lockwood Corners, agreed to accompany Dahmer to his house. According to Dahmer, after several hours of drinking and listening to music, Hicks, quote-unquote, wanted to leave, and I didn't want him to. In response, Dahmer bludgeoned him with a 10-pound dumbbell. He later stated that he struck Hicks twice from behind with it. As he sat upon a chair, when Hicks fell unconscious, he strangled him to death with the bar of the dumbbell, then stripped the clothes from Hicks, Hicks's body before masturbating as he stood above the corpse. The following day, he dissected the body in his basement, later buried the remains in a shallow grave in his backyard before several weeks later unearthing the remains. Taking the flesh from the bones, he then dissolved the flesh in acid before flushing it down the toilet and then crushed the bones with a sledgehammer and scattered them in the woodland behind the family home. A few months later, he enrolls at Ohio State University. What could go wrong? Right? <laughs> things are things are looking great. 
He, uh, if we know anything, that nothing good comes out of Ohio State University. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is entirely their fault. I know we've danced around all these other possibilities, yeah. but Ohio State is to blame for this. Oh yeah, you can't, they let you him can't trust a Buckeye. Yeah. So he lasted one semester there. He drank himself out. Yep. Um, and the following January, just a month later, uh, from his father's urging, he enrolled or enlisted in the U.S. Army, uh, where he trained as a medical specialist at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. Um, he would get lots of experience with more biology there. Um, the end result of that was him being discharged in March of 1981. No, um, I think it was just, an honorable just, discharge just, just because he didn't do anything that posed a threat to society. Yeah. Go I was going to say some of the things that I looked up and it, it depends on what you're watching, but I did see that there was two cases that came out later. That why he was in the army. That uh, two soldiers say they were drugged and raped by Dahmer. Yeah, yep. Multiple so, had reported it. So though he hadn't, um, he hadn't killed like a, almost a decade. There was there was things that he was still doing that were uh, they were pretty heinous. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's great points. Um, he moves back home. That doesn't go well. He's drinking himself stupid there, um, and. He relocates to his grandmother's house in Wisconsin, which would be our uh, unfortunate final location for where all this will happen. Uh, once he gets there, he is arrested multiple times for indecent acts, uh, mainly exposing himself to women and children. And then things elevate um, to him beginning to kill people. Which is really strange to women and children. <clears throat> right. Like exposing himself, you know. Yeah. Considering, you know, what he's interested in. Right. Or do you think that's Dahmer trying to sabotage himself to get arrested? Might be. And get taken off the streets. Could be. It's like David well, and American Werewolf in London. You know, when he's mm-hmm. trying, you got to arrest me. You got to lock me up. Yeah. So not, not only did he do that, but then uh, starting to go to the gay clubs. And uh, I think it was a bathhouse mm-hmm. that he started yep. going to and where he started drugging, drugging people there and then having his way with them that it went on for such a long period. I think the one guy OD'd. I think that's when the problem became of uh, they they kicked him out of the the bathhouse. I think they actually uh, beat the crap out of him and and threw him out. Um, but again, why? Not condoning what he did again, but the fact that you're doing this in a public place, it almost is kind of like almost like you want to be caught. Again, yeah, and, and in a place where. Uh... Todd, I'm not trying to be stereotypical here, but a place where people are going to hook up, like you would not have had trouble. Oh, if you up. don't, if you don't know what a bathhouse is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you rent a locker and you go in a room and and you have sex with other men. So it's not like kind of like the lyrics of the YMCA, <laughs> right? <It's> like <laughs> he didn't need to drug them to to fulfill any sexual desires. Like this was a this is a hookup spot. This was a real life grinder. You know, I I, mean? I, I know that he mentioned in a few cases that he he like would drug some victims because they would want to penetrate him and he didn't want to do that. Yeah. And again, it was almost like a dot, like an S and M dominance over his victims. Yeah. He clearly wanted complete control. Yeah. Um, this would play out further as the story. Yeah. Is yeah. On November 20th, 1987, Dahmer at the time residing with his grandmother in Wisconsin encountered a 25 year old man from on Tonagon, I don't know how to say that, Michigan, named Stephen Tuomi at a bar and persuaded him to return to the Ambassador Hotel in Milwaukee. Uh, that morning, um, Dahmer 
would wake up, even though when he had went there with him, he had no intention of harming him. Uh, it was just a night out and a good time that he was planning on. Uh, but he woke up to him lying beneath him on the bed, his chest crushed in and black and blue with bruises. Blood was also seeping from the corner of his mouth, and Dahmer's fists and one forearm were extensively bruised. He stated he had absolutely no memory of having killed him, and later informed investigators that he simply could not believe this had happened. Uh, but to dispose of the body, he purchased a large suitcase in which he transported this to his grandmother's residence, and one week later, he severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso, then filleted the bones from the body before cutting the flesh into pieces small enough to handle then placed the flesh inside garbage bags, wrapped the bones inside a sheet, and pounded them into splinters with a sledgehammer. Uh, the entire dismemberment process took Dahmer approximately two hours to complete and disposed of all the remains, excluding the severed head in the trash. Um, in particular, the movie we, we're not covering for this, uh, but with Jeremy Renner, just titled Dahmer, uh, does a wonderful segment on this. I mean, it is painful to watch because you, you're watching him this is it. He's basically flipped. Yeah. And this is all coming natural to him. All of the kind of pathways that we've been going with him all kind of intersect here in his grandmother's house. Um, this, he retained the victim's head wrapped in a blanket for a total of two weeks. Then he boiled it in a mixture of soil X and bleach in an effort to retain the skull, which he then used as stimulus for masturbation. Eventually, the skull was rendered too brittle by the process, so Dahmer pulverized and disposed of it. Um, September of the following year, his grandmother asked him to move out of her house because of his habit of bringing young men to her house late at night and, quote-unquote, the foul smells emanating from both the basement and the garage. Dahmer found a one-bedroom apartment on North 25th Street and moved into his new residence on September 25th, one that uh, America would become very familiar with. Are you familiar with the story of his dad finding the foot by foot box and asking Jeff what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his dad thought it was porno. And he said, I don't want this around your grandmother. Get yeah. rid of it. And he said, Open it up, Jeff. And he said, If I can't have this foot by foot privacy and got mad as hell about it stormed out and his dad headed down to the basement to open this up and get whatever's in it out. Jeff comes back in, apologizes to his dad, said, look, can we just let this blow over for tonight? I'll open it and give you what's in it tomorrow. You know, and his dad says, okay. And he comes down the next day and opens it up and shows it to his dad and it's porno. And his dad says, get rid of it. I don't ever want to see it again. Well, in reality, what would have been discovered in that if his dad would have followed through is there was a mummified head and genitals inside of it. And Dahmer even said that he went outside and thought, oh, it's all crashing down now. Uh, I, I've got to stop this from happening and went back in. And I, I think this is a perfect <clears throat> example of the complacency of his father. <laughs> this doesn't even have to do with a parent and their child. What human being is told by another human being, There's, I'll show you what's in that box, but let's go to bed first. Yeah. I'll, well, let's that, wait but, till the morning. But so then again, on the you. other hand, who goes... But on sure. the other hand, Jeffrey Dahmer was over 18, and his dad's still trying to make him show him what's inside of you know his personal belongings. You know right. what I mean? Like, to me, that was kind of fucked In up. fairness, though, he'd already been in trouble for exposing himself yeah, and other perverse enough. things. So, but yeah, that, that just kind of blows my mind. That it's like, yeah, I'll just go sleep for the evening, and then we'll take a look. We'll yeah, just we'll let it ride. Take a peek, because I'm sure you're not going to switch yeah. whatever's in there. I uh, I think it's good to note, too, that... Uh, he did, probably. That he... he 
in 88, he murdered two people in his grandmother's house. And then yeah, one in 89. And then that's, yeah. that's where Wilson was touching on the, the smell from the basement. So yeah, the following day after he moved into his new apartment, he was arrested for drugging and sexually fondling a 13 year old boy whom he had lured into his home on the pretext of posing nude for photographs. So not even 24 hours after he's been put out on his own, he's back in trouble for that, which kind of lends yourself to what you're saying. Do you think maybe he was kind of trying to get grabbed up? And not only that, how do you not have this motherfucker under surveillance at this point? How are you not carefully watching what this dude is doing from there on out? I'll touch on that later. But I think that victim, though, I think his brother is one of, becomes one of his murder victims. I think that's yeah. the, the he's the fourteen year old. Yep, I forgot about that. Um, so and, this- and and to touch on what you just said though, something we haven't said, not to mention that the fact that most of these men are homosexuals, they're also minorities, and I hate to say this, but no one gave a shit. Like or if that if, if that was a small, I mean, I hate saying this, if that was a small thirteen year old white boy of a rich family. Dahmer would have been thrown away in prison for a long time. Oh yeah, but it's it's a it's an Asian Asian child. The fact that he's uh, does that to him and then murders his brother later tells you uh, how much they were focused on this. Certainly, which is depressing. And there's instances of um, one boy in particular um, that was sent right back to the lion's den. That that's that boy's brother. Yeah. He's the, the brother of the one that was killed earlier. But um, if there's any particular incidents that you guys want to discuss, by all means, bring them up. But I was just going to say that these killings would continue uh, for three years. Yeah. And his MO is going to be, he's going to pick men up from going out in the evenings. Um, some of them he's going to lure back with the promise of money for posing for photography. Others he's just dancing and meeting and going home with Mm -hmm. and then he is setting out to achieve keeping them that is basically his goal is he wants to and it changes as we go along with him in different forms of what he wants but in essence he wants to keep someone there with him so he's not alone yep but Um, he also doesn't want to have to be beholden to their wishes (laughs) <laughs> which is where we come in with the slave idea of what he's trying to create. Yeah. Well, he he also too is is some of the some of the bodies he's keeping for days to do the necrophilia acts of, mm-hmm. of oral sex and yes. and sex with the the one victim. I think he kept the torso and head. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if if the expert the where he starts experimenting on on victims if that came before where he actually uh, did some cannibalism acts too, but. Well, yeah, and this is where we clearly have someone that's not having a lot of guests of people that actually know him. So he's unchecked in this apartment. He also lives in a minority neighborhood, yes, which is another big deal. Um, He lives in this neighborhood where he's one of the only white guys, and it it almost gives him a pass. Like his neighbors are just like. He's just a weird white dude. Yeah. And like, multiple neighbors that even ask him at different times, why are you living in this apartment complex with all black people? And he'd say, just matter of fact, it's close to work. Yep. <laughs> okay. And so no one would investigate. They're like, like, also just, to note was some of the neighbors complaining of the smell from his apartment. Like he's just cooking weird white people food or he's yeah. just not doing would, this or Wouldn't that? he like, be like on the city bus with things of acid like next to him riding along and shit like that? Just right. I mean, in plain sight, this dude was Bold. And he, I, I think too, like, because 
it's mentioned, this is weird to say that we talk about all these acts, but he was also very shy and introverted. And I think that's why everybody that talks about this guy, they say that no matter what room he was in, you would overlook him. Yep. And playing in effect with the poor minorities that are, again, are a lot of these victims are homosexual. Like it was just so under the radar that nobody, nobody cared. And sadly, like I know, I know a few of these, like you can watch some of the court videos where family members are very upset. Oh, I yeah. think it's on YouTube. But, the a, entire but a lot of these, fa- like other victims, you don't see the family upset because they didn't care because their kid was a homosexual. They didn't care what happened to him. But a lot of them had just been gone for years at that point. It just, Unfortunate situations, but yeah, his, he would basically get men back there, and it's important to point out that he would drug them. This, as we discussed earlier, was not sexually motivated killings. Mm-hmm. The end result, you could say, is, but the act of killing was not sexualized with him. He did not want them to suffer, and he didn't want to have to worry about them fighting back or getting him caught. This is an important point to make because for Bundy, for Gacy, the killing was... Sexual. Oh, they'd drag it out as much as they could. Oh, yeah. Um, and so he would drug them and strangle them um, and then do his different experiments. He was building a shrine uh, in one room where he kept skulls and had diagrams drawn of how he was going to make this perfect shrine. Um, he would keep bodies, as discussed, for days. He would dismember them. He would eat parts of them, uh, not because he was obsessed with the idea of cannibalism in general, but it was more the act of keeping them as a part of him. Yep, that they would become, he felt they would become a permanent part of him if he ingested them. Yes, Uh, which is also known as crazy, uh, but that was where he was coming from. It's, this becomes part of me. Um, And so, I mean, it's, it it is old shamanism. It is old folk religion. I mean, it's like, if I consume this animal, I I get that animal strength. If I consume this person, I I, kind of plays in the communion a little bit. Uh, yeah, it does. It absolutely does. I mean, as we consume the body and blood of Christ, uh, you know, he's regenerated within us. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not absent from other religions. Is right. what I'm saying. Like, not that he's starting a religion, but... Or hearkening from those. Yes, right. He's just like, yeah, if I put them in my body, they're me. Yeah. <laughs> this is the body and blood of Carlos. <laughs> and I think, too, at this point, too, uh, not only did he add a, a deep freezer to his home, but he had added the barrel... Where he would uh, have acid and throw his victims in, but I think uh, something important to note is that he did killings, but ninety one is where, to me, ninety one is where it got scary because it started averaging one a month, and I think uh, the one this was that, his electric boogaloo. He was a hungry, hungry hippo. So I would say one of important of note is May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety one, and I'm I'm sorry about the name, but it's it's Conorak, Sithophone. I probably am saying it really wrong. I'm sorry. So this is the the victim of the the brother that he had exposed himself to. Uh, so this is. I'm glad you have his name. All jokes aside, because I couldn't remember. He, I didn't have it jotted down. So he he drugged and. Uh, this is messed up. He drugged and strangled him, and then um, before he strangled him, though, he drilled a hole in his head. And uh, I think this might have been one of the first victims where he started experimenting on too. Um, but he injected. Um, I want to say injected uh, acid into yeah. his head and frontal lobes. So while he went out to get beer or something, the victim gets uh, gets up, gets away, goes down to neighbors, um, and you can hear like the nine one one calls and stuff where they they report that there's a, a butt ass naked man. Oh yeah, and and I, I don't know if I mentioned this again or not, but this is a fourteen year old kid. 
So he's down in the street. The neighbors knew something was wrong. So when Dahmer shows up, they've already called the police. They're not wanting to let Dahmer take the boy. The police show up, tell the women they need to mind their own business, minority women. Um, they take it as a, a lover's uh, quarrel. And the, uh, Dahmer says that the guys had too much to drink. Had they done any investigating, number one, even checking the they, – they assume this was an adult. This is a 14-year-old child. Yeah. Um, they let, the, let him take him back to the apartment where after the, the police left. Not to mention, again, if they would have done investigating all the stuff that's in his apartment, including the smell at this point, they let the child go back to the apartment, and as soon as the cops leave, Dahmer strangles the, the kid to death. Which he did clarify. Like, they probably weren't even out of the building before he had begun finishing him off. This was May 27th. At that point, there was a murder June 30th, July 7th, July 18th, the 19th of July... Um, and the 19th of July, I think, is his last victim, actually. And that's the thing, man. Like, talk about shitty police work. Oh, they rioted. They, I mean, I don't the, know about police, actual rioting. The rioted, police were but also fired, so. Yeah, that's true. No, the citizens came back on that one when they found out. They're like, you know, it's like it's like they showed up and, and Dahmer's like, drank too much. Am I right, <laughs> yeah. boys? He, uh, he also, he also oh, showed them, he showed them photographs that he took of, of the boy naked. To show that they were they were boyfriends. I'm just going to throw this out here. You don't have to be Columbo to think. <laughs> does a lover's argument, and somebody runs out butt ass naked? Do you think maybe something more serious is happening here? An argument between a couple usually doesn't involve one person fleeing the building completely nude, right? Even if we assume that this 14 year old is an adult and that we don't notice the hole drilled in his head and that he's half lobotomized and out here talking gibberish. Okay, we'll make the concessions there. Maybe that's the case. But the simple fact is, people don't do that unless they're in danger. Which opens us up into our next point. The cops didn't want anything to fucking do with it because they were gay. Yep. That's exactly that's exactly what this is all about. Minority too, but it definitely, like, they're like, I don't know, Lenny. I don't want to go in yeah. there and see these well, and especially boys touching each other. You got, you know, and then like, you're in a minority neighborhood and... and Blonde-haired white man Jeffrey Dahmer comes out and tells you there's nothing to worry about. You think that played into something? Yeah, like, we're just arguing, sir. We'll go yeah. back now. <laughs> Great. Well, and it doesn't help too if the, if they're uh, against the, that whole world or uncomfortable with it. And you got Jeff here showing Polaroids like Borat. It's <laughs> like check this out. It's like you know what? He, you guys go back. He is my wife. But all jokes aside, inexcusable. Like it oh, does not unreal. take five and minutes. At, to at this at this point, too, he had many of his victims. He had removed the heart, and they were, in his fridge was a heart. Uh, there was skulls where he had started building a shrine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I know one victim. He actually like did a whole skeleton of uh, that was like in his wardrobe. So there's Polaroids of the victims he took of uh, lewd acts that he did on them. So how they did any kind of like checking into anything. Yeah. Um, let's see that again. That was May. So one, two, three, four. It would have, it would have saved at least four more lives. So um, on July, July 19th, 1991, uh, Joseph uh, Brunhoft was offered money to pose nude, which is something that Dahmer did quite a bit also um, to, to lure men back to his apartment. Uh, he dismembered the, the head, but not completely. And they kept the torso and uh, head in the apartment. And then uh, July 22nd, 1991, Tracy Edwards 
would have been the 18th victim, but Tracy Edwards is actually the one that got away. Hmm. And once he fleed the apartment, I think he hand uh, similar thing. He lured him back to the apartment, uh, offered him money for uh, for photos and stuff. He handcuffs the victim. Um, I think uh, Tracy says that as soon as he got in, um, he there was an odor. He knew something was wrong. He and saw so he, several boxes of hydrochloric acid. He well. saw the acid on the floor. Something we haven't mentioned, and I hate saying this, but there was a, a lot of uh, a lot of the victims. Dahmer talks about where he tried to suppress this, but the movie Exorcist Three actually, um, like he really would uh, kind of like encourage him. And a lot of the vi- the last few victims, Exorcist Three would be playing when uh, he would lure them back. Yeah. So between all this, Tracy Edwards escapes. He gets to the police. Um, he's still wearing handcuffs. The police go back to the apartment to get uh, Dahmer to uncuff him and to also and to actually look into it. And when they go in, um, I think they find Polaroids in the bedroom. They're like, hey, does this belong to you, Mr. Dahmer? <laughs> did this, did you, this yours? Did he escape from your house? <laughs> so they actually see uh, Polaroids of, of corpses at this point. And then that's, uh, this is what leads well, to the arrest. They just have him hanging on his bridge? Like, oh, Again, that shows you how careless the guy is that you have to wonder, (coughs) did he not want to get nabbed? Yeah. Because I don't get, from interviews, I don't get the arrogance off of Dahmer that I got off of Bundy. Oh, no. And that you get off of Gacy. Oh, yeah. Like, you don't get that arrogance. It's almost like he was so careless because he was just like, and this is, of course, conjecture on my part, but just... Catch me, stop me. You know what I mean? I think he knew he was a monster. And, and he, because that's when we talk about Bundy and Gacy, to me, there's no humanity there. Right. Like, as weird as it is, again, I can't condone anything he did. No. Um, and it, his childhood sucked. And at the point that he killed the first victim, it all goes out the window. But there's still like this weird humanity with Jeffrey Dahmer. Well, he, the thing is, is like we said earlier, Jeffrey Dahmer owned up to everything. And, and I'll, I'll wait until we get further. I'll wait until we get into his apprehension and all that before I before I go any further with what I was going to say. Well, I think that's where we're at. So yeah, so we we've, we've got the cops back. We discover the Polaroids in the bedroom. Um, Dahmer tries to rush past them, and the cops get serious at that point. Back off, um, and they that you know because he tries to cut past him to get and close a drawer to say he's getting the keys for these cuffs, and that's when they realize he's getting squirrely, and so. At this point, I think this is the most intense, fascinating part of this case. Can you just picture being the cops in that apartment and like Jeffrey Dahmer tries to pull a Sonic the Hedgehog and like, <laughs> <"What are you laughs> yeah. and, it's like and this apartment from the photos I've seen is not a big apartment. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so they they start to realize the 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 decor in his apartment um, is real. The things that he has in here, skeletal decorations. Um, and the, when he saw that, you know, he, that they had this stuff, he tried to fight him. They overpowered him um, and get him cuffed behind his back. They call for a second squad car for backup. And that's when they opened the refrigerator uh, to reveal the freshly severed head of a black male on the bottom shelf. As Dahmer lay pinned on the floor beneath the officer, he turned his head towards the officers and muttered the words, for what I did, I should be dead. And at this point, um, we start to go through the apartment, discovering 
all of the remains, um, the, the things used for the process. We've got the whole vat of acid that he's dissolving uh, flesh in. Um, a total of seven skulls, some painted, some bleached, were found in his bedroom inside a closet. In addition, investigators uh, found human hearts, a portion of an arm muscle, each wrapped inside plastic bags upon the shelves in Dahmer's freezer. The investigators discovered an entire torso, plus a bag of human organs and flesh stuck to the ice at the bottom. Elsewhere in the apartment, they discovered two entire skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and in the 57-gallon drum, three further dismembered torsos dissolving into the solution. A total of 74 Polaroid pictures detailing the dismemberment of Dahmer's victims were found. In reference to the recovery of body parts and artifacts, the chief medical examiner later stated it was more like dismantling someone's museum than an actual crime scene. Yeah. Um, and at this point, we've we've seen the footage. They're wheeling the stuff out, and most notably the the acid container. Mm -hmm. They bring in specialists for that to help because they don't exactly know what all they're dealing with no. there. Um, and to have been one of those cops, wow. And a uh, documentary, if you're interested in that whole experience of that evening, uh, is the Jeffrey Dahmer Files, which yeah. deals specifically with the officers and the neighbors and what it was like to be either in that room or if nothing else, that building has the circus kind of unraveled Did, didn't you tell the one officer you're, you're going to be famous yeah and and the i think the police officer had no idea like he's like oh well we've dealt with things like this before until till you know Dahmer detailed yeah what i was gonna say earlier is that Dahmer's lawyer said that uh after the trial and the conviction and everything that that Dahmer had told him he said i should have gotten death for for this you know, I, I should have been killed for this, but because there was no death penalty, uh, was it, uh, where was it? He was arrested Milwaukee, in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's right. They don't have a death penalty and inmates talk of his behavior. Uh, he was first, he was put in a confinement that was more solitary. It wasn't solitary confinement, but it was away from general population. Uh, Dahmer convinced them to let him in to mingle with other prisoners other prisoners at that time would talk about how Dahmer would arrange his food on his plate to resemble body parts and use his ketchup to at the lines where it would have been severed uh reportedly almost, screamed don't you judge me in between bites i'm making that part up almost uh almost taunting and so again a lot of people say was Dahmer did he want to die? Oh, Dahmer has, has said that he, he wanted to die. And he was slashed in the throat at one point and in chapel, but the shiv wasn't sharp enough, so it just scraped him. And even then, he convinced them by telling them that the guy who did it was Cuban was trying to get kicked out of the country by doing it and convinced him to put him back in general population. It's like a less funny version of the end with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Can't get it done. But yeah, he was convicted on February 15th, 1992, sentenced to an uh, insane length of time. 900, 900 yeah. years total was a sentence, I think. Yeah. Back-to-back -back life sentences. And, yep. and, and originally, too, it wasn't the first trial to see if he was uh, sane or insane. Which they said he was. Cool as a cucumber yeah. in interviews. Cool yep. as a cucumber. Well, and, and weirdly, too, uh, 
necrophilia and like like pedof- pedophiles like like that's not considered any plea of insanity. And he uh and again, he owned everything. Like he he owned in the whole responsibility. He didn't blame it on his parents Media, in any way, shape, like or form. Because like, he didn't blame it on anything. He just he owned every bit of it. And of course, uh, he became a born again Christian. Mm-hmm. His dad had had sent a lot of things to him, uh, which the one part that it, which is funny because we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. We're talking about all these heinous things. And in the Stone Phillips interview, as I was watching, it, the thing that made me roll my eyes the most out of everything was when Dahmer said that. He now real. He used to think that evolution was it, and this and that. And now, after reading everything, he knows that evolution is bogus and it doesn't have any basis in science. And it's like, uh, uh, Jeff, I know that you ate motherfuckers, and it's like you know about this, bones, dog. But but now you're you're bothering me. Now you're really bothering me. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, I think the the main difference with him and other killers that we've covered so far is while they relished and delighted in the evil, he was overcome by it. Yeah. Um, on the morning of November 28, 1994, Dahmer left his cell to conduct his work detail. Accompanying him were two fellow inmates, Jesse Anderson and Christopher Scarver. The trio were left unsupervised in the showers of the prison gym Which for I approximately find 20 minutes. Uh, at approximately 8.10 a.m., Dahmer was discovered on the floor of the bathroom. Bathrooms of the gym suffering from extreme head and facial wounds and had been severely bludgeoned about the head and face with a 20-inch metal bar. His head had also been repeatedly struck against the wall in the assault. He died two days later. That is the end of the Jeffrey Dahmer case. So he, and was, so, so he was beat to death with a barbell yeah. from the gym. So gets convicted in what, 91? Is dead by 94 at the hands Caught of another 91, man. charged in 92, dead two dead. days later. Yeah. And his consequently his mother died at age 64 of cancer. His brother changed his name. Okay. So his lives, brother had to change his lives name. Lives in anonymity. And as far as I know, the father, if he's still alive, still lives in Ohio. So uh, something I think that stands out is uh, is that the day he was convicted is is a lot of the victims' families get to speak. And That's intense. Of course, they're, I mean, uh, the, the one that, that puzzled me is there's one that actually visited him in prison to find out what he did to her brother mm-hmm. and how... How it's not even that she's calm. I think she just probably checked out. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and then the the other victim you see on a, a lot of footage is she's just screaming With at him. I hate she's, you. She's yeah. so upset. Um, but then after after all this happens, he goes up and speaks for himself, and he he apologizes for everything he did, and like again, he he puts the blame all on himself. And um, I think at at this point is where you know he, I think several times he mentions that he just kind of almost wishes death upon himself. Well, and in that Stone Phillips interview that he did while in prison, which was the last interview that he did for a major network, uh, he was talking about how the urges haven't gone away. Yeah. How he still has the urges. Is that the one where they ask him if he was free, if he would still do it? And he says, yes. There, there's yeah. there's an interview where they ask him and he says, yes, he would still, he would still probably be killing. Uh, and again, uh, I, I don't remember which interview I watched, but, Kind of like your eye rolling moment. Mine was when the father is asked about his uh, his sexuality, and it's almost like he kind of accept that he did all the stuff to all these guys, but you burn in hell if you're gay. So again, it kind of goes back like if mm. if there's an upbringing of this and this is who you are, and uh, the the fact that his father can accept that he murdered seventeen people, but 
You can't accept. I don't gay. like that he's gay. Right. So, should we hit the movie yes. at this point? Yes. My friend Dahmer. Deets. Anybody got dates? I do. So, my friend Dahmer. Um, it's actually 2017. Uh, it kind of got. Uh, it was a lot of film festivals. 2017. So it kind of got a wider release in 2018, uh, starring Ross Lynch as Jeffrey Dahmer, Alex Wolf as uh, John Durf Backdurf. Yep, we know him from um, Hereditary. Yep, and from he's, Hereditary, he's playing the author of the book. Yeah, also weirdly, he's from a Nickelodeon show, and the <laughs> other kids from Disney. Yeah, as uh, I'm watching, I'm like, man, this dude who's playing Dahmer looks real familiar to me. I keep sitting there, and I, re- I was like. My God, my kid used to watch a show called Austin and Alley on the <laughs> Disney Channel, and it's the kid who played Austin. Your son or you? My son. Okay. My son. Uh, which is funny, too, if you think about that uh, Zac Efron is mm-hmm. now playing. Basically, right. uh, if you want a serial killer for your film, you should research Disney. <laughs> Hit the Disney Channel. Uh, Anne Heche, who uh, it was touched on earlier, but, man, if you you can't get a better wacko. Well, uh, she's actually uh, not acting. This movie, She's which is amazing. Yes. Yeah, um, managed to keep her butthole hidden in this one. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Dallas Roberts it's a plays Lionel. Gus Van Sant, psycho, by the way. <laughs> Dallas Roberts plays Lionel uh, Lionel Dahmer. Uh, directed by Mark Myers, written by Mark Myers, and it's based off the graphic novel by um, John Beckdurf. Durf, Beckdurf. Durf, Durf, Beckdurf. Um, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Uh, this was for me like watching the graphic novel come to life. It was just so well done. The the graphic novel is so well done. Um, and so I'm interested to see from people who didn't read the graphic novel, like if this lived up uh, to expectations or if it was a letdown. Um, I think, well, full, full disclosure up front, <laughs> if you want something on the actual case, this is not the movie. This is not the movie for you. However, out of all the famous serial killers that there are, if there's one I would like to know about the formative years, it's him. Because I've always heard about that there had been movements from him to try and get better or avoid what he would become and that he didn't have the best situation with the adults in his life. And so this is by far the most compelling story that I didn't know much about. Yeah. And so it, I think, nails that. And it leads it up perfectly to where he begins what we know him as. And so for that, I enjoyed it. But in terms of a true, like comparing fact and fiction, this isn't going to service that. So it's important to stress that because I see a lot of reviews for this movie with, I think maybe younger viewers or uninformed ones about the story. They were just talking about how boring it is. And that's not the point of this movie. If you know what the point of the movie is, and the graphic novel, and especially with it coming from an actual person who was around him, I think it's a fascinating story. Yeah. I, th- I thought, uh, especially the kid that played Dahmer, did a really good job. Did a great job. I think every uh, college graduate who is going on to become a teacher should watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. Just, hey, take notes. Hey, just pay attention. I had never read the graphic novel. Uh, I had never seen the movie until we did the podcast and I watched it. Um, and a rare thing for the podcast, my wife actually watched the movie with me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a rare thing for the podcast. Oh. You liked it. <laughs> no, which, which uh, doesn't, doesn't normally happen. The wife usually doesn't watch stuff that I watch for the podcast with me. Um, 
she liked it. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I, I feel like, and, and I believe some people may find this to be a detriment depending on your point of view. I enjoyed the fact that this movie humanizes the monster that mm-hmm. I've been shown. Other people may not like the fact that you're humanizing a monster. And we're going through the same thing with the new Ted Bundy. Movie. Yes. People are complaining about that. But the whole point of that movie is to be from the perspective of the girlfriend. And I think that it's an important part of these cases to understand how people around them see them. Yes, because I agree. that's what's scary about it. I agree. Well, well, you know, it's it's very easy for for us to sit back, hear a story, and know the full picture and go, well, how, how could a parent still go and visit after they know their kid did this to so many other people and this and that? And you forget that these are human beings, and you forget that this was a person that somebody changed his diaper. Somebody watched his first steps. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And no matter how big of a monster your kid may become as a parent, you're always going to love them no matter what it is that they do. So you, it's important to remember. It's important to remember the victims and it's important to remember their names. Um, but I think it's also important to remember that these are human beings that perpetrated these terrible things because I think that there's not enough sympathy in the world. I don't think that we should brush off what Jeffrey Dahmer did because he had an unhappy childhood, but I think that we should look at the case and maybe look at some of the hallmarks and the warning signs that were there and apply that to other human lives to try to prevent somebody turning out like this again. Well, I liked it. I liked the movie a lot. I'm glad we watched real it. Real quick before Todd adds to it, but I was going to say the marketing doesn't help with these movies Mm-mm. because if you if you go into this knowing that I'm going to watch a movie that's being told to me by somebody who had the unique experience of being close friends with Jeffrey Dahmer right before he became what he was, that's an interesting movie, and this gives you what you want if you know that going into it. It executes it perfectly. Yeah. That's what the movie is. But people want more headlines, you know, like they've read, put into their movie. They I also like the, the part where out. Russell Brand tried to get him to play a Russian roulette out in the woods. <laughs> 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 well, what I really wanted to know, uh, Venomous One, is um, did you like this telling of the monster's backstory better than Rob Zombie's Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> The hell was the white horse? I've said it a million times. You cut all the first 20 minutes of Rob Zombie's Halloween and I'm in. Uh, so I haven't read the graphic novel. Uh, this is a first time watch for the show. I thought the movie was really good. If I was recommending this, though, I would say that you should probably watch My Friend my friend Dahmer and follow it with Dahmer with Jeremy Renner. Sure. Um, there's not, like, if we're being honest, there's not a lot of good movies on serial killers. There's not. Um, when we were doing this, I actually, uh, for some reason, I always thought the, the Jeremy Renner movie was a TV movie I'd watched. Maybe it wasn't TV, it was straight to video, uh, called the secret life, Jeffrey Dahmer. And it came out in 1993. So right, like right, right after, um, I always thought that was the Renner movie. It's not that great a film. If I remember it, um, I watched the Renner one. I had never seen that movie cause I lumped it in with all the crap one. Bundy and all those green green river killer and btk and all the crap that they put out 
the Dahmer uh, 2002 film is actually like very good. So I would say uh, this movie's great as like uh, it, it ends right before he would kill his first victim, uh, my friend Dahmer. And then Dahmer is more about from from the first victim on. Okay. Uh, so it's almost kind of like a, a great, if you're going to watch a, a movie on Dahmer, I would say this is a good two-parter. They went perfectly. So this certainly. would be like a, a late-night double feature picture show? Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, without musical numbers. <laughs> so, uh, oh, then I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really good movie, so... Um, just, I could see a lot of people, if you're watching it for like what Dahmer did, this isn't that movie. This is, uh, kind of everything that led there. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to discuss about the film. I feel like because we, as we covered the case earlier and what his childhood was like, we would just be rehashing the same info if we were like, all right, here's the synopsis of the film. No. Basically what we told you, his father being a chemist or biologist, his mom being nuts. And, and I feel like without beating you over the head with it, they, yeah. they convey everything right. perfectly. Well, and, and it's the perfect experience with, with learning about him in his earlier years because I found myself at times feeling very bad for him yeah. and then wanting to kill him because yeah. I know what he's going to become. And he's almost infuriating to watch. And part of that is, I think, frustration from somebody else not stepping in and catching it. But it's a, the experience nails it. And I, I will say this, one thing I do want to point out specifically about the movie that I think is worth the price of admission alone, and spoiler alert, um, is the ending with the friend at the house. Yeah. And how chilling that is. Sure. Yeah. Because this is when we talked earlier about how all friends were going off to college, parents had split up, he's living at home alone. Durf goes back with him to hang out, and we see him approaching him. In the he dark gets a bad feeling. Him. He Durf gets a bad feeling and, and turns. And I don't know if any of you have ever been in that situation where you walked in someplace and you just felt it with yeah, like every fiber of your being. Joe that Pesci you in the be cabin. There. I was getting ready to say uh, Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas, where he's like, "Just go down to the alley, yeah, yeah. turn in there. Those yep. dresses, they're beautiful." No. Yep. I'm good. Yep. It's I'm funny. Even... We both had different good fellow moments. <laughs> yeah. Joe Pesci walks in the cabin. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yep. It's supposed to be made. But that, it's chilling, not only for in the moment, but to know that Dahmer is going to fulfill that urge right after that. Yep. That it, the only reason that it wasn't his friend, because he didn't want him to leave, which is where we start that whole psychosis with mm-hmm. him. He didn't want his friend to leave, and he had him at the house where he had nobody paying attention, nobody yeah. there, and he could he could keep him forever. And his and friend I, bounced, and it, probably the only reason he got to bounce is because he was his friend, and Jeff probably wasn't sure if he was going to do that yet on the moment. And but I can tell you from chilling. watching uh, friends who have been in situations where they find themselves down and out and are living in a house that is the one they grew up in, but their family doesn't live there anymore. And it's, you can, it's palpable. Yeah. The effect that it has on a person living in that type of situation. Sure. Yeah. But, um, Wolf plays it perfectly in the car. Nervous. Yeah. The car will oh, start. Yeah. You can just feel that. Moment. Oh yeah. Him standing with Dahmer standing in the driveway. Yeah. And I thought, man, they just nailed it right here. This alone made this kid's experience and sharing his story. Very compelling. 
that it that we led right up to the intersection and he just barely evaded it yeah it's great the kid playing Dahmer does a great job of portraying every story about Dahmer as a kid, mm -hmm. making the noises, faking the seizures, doing all of that. And just to go back to like what you said, Professor, early on, is that you all knew that kid in high school. Oh, yeah. At least one, if not two or three. But like, kills it. Like, he plays it so well. And I love the montage of them sneaking him into all the yearbook group photos. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a joke they were going to do, is stick Dahmer in like the honor society the photography club like sneak him into every group photo yeah. and he makes the point in the book they don't make as profound a point in the movie about it but he makes the point in the book of when their yearbook teacher editor found out and got furious about it they made him go through the yearbook before it went to to press and black out his face mm -hmm. in every photo and he points out in the the graphic novel he goes what a sad illustration of Jeffrey's life in that he felt invisible and that's why he acted out and did the things he did. Like he didn't get attention from his parents. He had to act stupid at school to get our attention. And here's a teacher saying, make him invisible. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think uh, we were talking about how a lot of people don't like movies where you humanize a serial killer. I think part of it is me watching this movie I just think about like how I grew up, like my, my parents divorced when I was like six and they didn't argue like, like in the movie, like where his was, but I just feel like when you watch these things, you can, you, you find them relatable. And I think that's what, that's what upsets people is yeah. when you watch a serial killer and then you can start going, you well, know, what it, if that happened in my life? It's or, easier to paint somebody as a complete monster than it is to see the the parts of their life that make you feel bad for them and see them as a human being. Right, which is frustrating because the whole point of understanding these cases is because we don't want them to happen. Mm -hmm. And a quick way to make sure that they keep happening is to just demonize them and not learn anything from it. Yeah. And so I, I don't listen to that. Uh, that argument doesn't hold much water with me when people get mad about humanizing them. It's like, well, they were. Right. They weren't always a killer. This was a little kid at one point. Yeah. So I, I will say watching the watching the two films that I talked about, my friend Dahmer and then Dahmer 2002. My friend Dahmer, I'm just like, okay, I was, you know, closeted and my parents divorced. And there, many times because of stuff like that, I felt alone and, and isolated. And, and I was a, the horror movie kid growing up. So I was the weird kid. So I, I relate so much in that. And then watching Dahmer... I kind of felt like more I related to the victims, like to the fact that even like when, you know, like even before he started murdering people where he was drugging them in clubs, like I was actually drugged twice. Holy shit. Yeah. So one time uh, multiple people were drugged in a club I used to go to. D of course, didn't find out until a few days later. Um, just a lot of people were sick. Yeah. And then the other time I was found in my truck in Ohio, um, I guess I was on the passenger side Keys were on the floor, um, and I had been outside for over two hours at a gas station. I don't know how I got there or what happened. When I woke up, I was in a hospital that I didn't, I didn't even know where I was at. Wow. So watching one film and then going to the other, like, you know, the one that humanizes him, I, I almost see, you know, obviously not the, the animal cruelty or any of that, but there's, there's things I saw. And then watching the other one, it's like, and I could I could be a, easily a victim, and the fact that he targeted gay clubs and and gay communities, and this was an attractive guy. Like not to mention the fact that he easily got seventeen men that he that he murdered. Um, there was something about this guy, obviously, that that people 
trusted or, or, or something and about that, him that and seemed harmless enough. Yeah. There's an irony, too, because he was more of what the idea that people have of Bundy is than yes. Bundy ever was. Yep. Bundy was kind of squirrely and insecure half the time. He had to use ruses to trick people. Dahmer danced and smooth-talked, bringing people home. He was more of what people consider uh, Bundy to be, which is an interesting element because people like to just focus on the the grisly aspects at the end. But he's a little bit of a Casanova out there. Yeah, well, one last factoid that just popped into my head was that he was kind of well-known because he made a big deal to go to the Chicago Pride Festival every year. Mm, yeah. And he was known as the Pink Mummy. Yep, he would, I forgot about he that. Would, he would do like a Pink Mummy costume. And so like people, as they found out as like time went on, like people who were just like, oh my God. Yeah, I remember the Pink Mummy yeah, at the I'll Chicago. Party with the Pink yeah, Mummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the Chicago. Holy I remember shit, the... he's killing me. Yes. <laughs> Something else uh, that we didn't touch on that's in My Friend Dahmer is where he orchestrates in D.C., the the oh, visit yeah, yeah, to the yeah. to the vice president's office where they get to meet the vice president. Yet again, another connection to politics and even uh, either vice presidents or their spouses. I mean, uh, Bundy was in politics. Gacy met, uh, I think, Rosalind Nan- Carter. Rosalind Carter and was in politics. And was in yeah. politics. We've got Bundy meeting a, or I mean, we've got Dahmer meeting a vice president. Another one had met Nancy Reagan. I can't remember who that was. Which, which even even that uh, visit, you know, of course, all his friends were like, "Yeah, that ain't gonna happen." And he Swimbled picks it. up a payphone, and like that's how that's how smooth he was that he yeah. orchestrated a, a meeting, and then he they all meet the vice president. His ideas of acceptance and normal social behavior were elevated because he had no real concept of it. Yeah, it's like I want I want to be friends. Sure, let me make this happen. I think another scene too that stands out is is prom where they're kind of making fun of him at this point, and I think one of them mentions that no one, no girl would go to the prom with Dahmer, and he smooth talks a freshman girl. But to me, what's disturbing is he goes, he makes an appearance, and then just like leaves her. Yeah, this one triggered me. I was like, buddy, I get it. He's sitting there eating burgers by himself. <laughs> completely gave the Irish goodbye. I was like, I get it. <laughs> Oh man, Professor did the same thing. He won prom king, ditched, just <laughs> left. We, we couldn't find him. He was drinking whiskey and eating cheeseburgers. Probably trying to hammer that crown onto my big head. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think we've we've done a really good job of busting this whole story wide open and, and giving proper credit to the film. A lot to digest. It is. <laughs> oh my god! End it. <laughs> we got to wrap this up. Folks, um, I think for all the reasons we just said, if, if you're a fan uh, of the genre and if you're interested in true crime and you want to see the backstory, if you want to you know, find out about the monster before he's the monster, definitely give Dahmer a shot. I think it will resonate with you in some ways. I think you will feel sympathetic in some ways and then you will also find out. I mean, I, think, I just think you'll look at it and say, I knew that kid and I don't sympathize with Dahmer because of the monster he became, but it makes me think about how that kid from high school could have turned how out. How we never know. Yeah, that old saying, there but for the grace of God go I, right? Like, it's, it's, it's going to trigger some things within you to say, well, that could have been me, or that could have been my friend, or that could have been that guy that I knew. Um, yeah, just an interesting case, and I think definitely uh, someone who will be talked about in, you know, American crime history. Longer right? than a lot of them. Yeah. So... 
wrapping up with another true crime episode talking about Dahmer, not our friend Dahmer, but the show movie, my friend Dahmer. Uh, wrapping up, this is Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Mini, Hot Toddy, Stay Scary. <laughs> <laughs>